Blog Talk Radio. For the next two hours, we will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show, blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. Send messages to the show on Twitter, at go for gant And while you're there... On Twitter, at GoForGant. Give us a follow, at GoForGant. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by one of the heroes, one of the stars, and one of the reasons that the New England Patriots won Super Bowl Forty Nine. Rob Ninkovich will be joining us. Rob is going to talk to us about what happened. And in that particular play, he was there. He was on the field. He saw it up close and personal. And we're going to get an up-close-and-personal point of view of what transpired on that particular play. Stunning play. Unbelievable play. Still can't believe that. To this day, that play was called (laughs) unbelievable. Anyway, Rob Ninkovich will be joining us here on Go Forward. He will be joining us at 8.05 in our second hour. Also... In our second hour, Hall of Famer, Willie Rove. We're going to get his take on Super Bowl Forty Nine. his take on that big play where Malcolm Butler became a household name. Great play and a great day to be Malcolm Butler. Bad day and a bad play, Daryl Bevel and Pete Carroll. But we're going to talk to Willie Rove, get his take on everything. Also, NFL drafts around the corner. We're going to talk to an NFL draft prospect, Delaware State, Rodney Gunter. We're going to get Rodney's talk. We're going to talk to Rodney about his preparation for the upcoming NFL draft. Talk to him about what he thinks he needs to do to get to that next level. So we got Nikovich, 805, Rob Nikovich, Rofe, 835, and Rodney Gunter at 710. Let's get right down to it. Super Bowl 49. <laughs> Super Bowl 49. First and foremost, what a Super Bowl. What a game. I mean, was it a, a – it was one of the better Super Bowls, what, I guess in a couple of years because that Ravens uh, 49ers uh, Super Bowl, Super Bowl 47 was good. But that was good. That was a good Super Bowl. The ebbs, the flows, the ups and downs, the backs and forths, it made for a great football game. And a, a, a football game that we will remember. And, of course, the call that we will remember. Deion Sanders said it best, worst call in the history of football. I can't really argue on that. I, I can't. It was, I mean, I think everybody and their mamas, everybody and their mamas thought that Marshawn Lynch, which Marshawn Lynch was going to get that football. Everybody did. Everybody thought 
that Marshawn Lynch was getting that football. I thought it. I mean, and when that interception happened, I'm sitting there watching the game with my son, and I'm saying, what is going on? What are they doing? Why are they? Why did they pass the ball? It made no sense. It made no sense at the time, and after a week, I'm still trying to make sense of it all. And unfortunately, 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 I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. This call is similar to the the call that Pete Carroll made when he was at USC, where they had a fourth down, and you know, obviously had a big back in Lindell White, but the most electrifying Rod Reggie Bush wasn't even in the game. The most electrifying, the the most dynamic the most explosive player in college football wasn't even in the football game. For a decoy, at least, wasn't even in the football game. This call is worse. This is worse. This, this, is, this is worse. Marshawn Lynch not getting that football is worse. Marshawn Lynch not getting that football is worse. There's no reason why Marshawn Lynch should not have gotten the football. I'm hearing stats here on goal line situation. Marshawn Lynch is one for five. I'm hearing that. He's one for five. Whoop-de-doo. In that particular situation, he was effective in that game. He was able to have success running the ball. The Seahawks had success running the football with Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch. They had success in that particular game on the ground. It made no sense. It makes no sense. It didn't make sense at the time, and it's still not making any type of sense. Okay, let's just go. Let's just say you want to throw the football in that particular situation. Let's just go with that premise. You want to throw the football in that particular situation. All right? Well, if you're going to throw the football in that particular situation, don't you think there should be some kind of play fake? Don't you think a play fake should be in order on some level? I mean, because everybody thought that Marshawn Lynch was getting the football. So the Patriots' defense was set up in terms of stopping the run. So wouldn't you think that Marshawn Lynch, you at least fake the handoff to Marshawn Lynch? At least give the impression that you're going to put the ball in the belly of Marshawn Lynch. Do you do that at least? At least. That's the least you do. And they didn't even do that. They didn't even do that. And so the reality is it was a bad play call. And obviously if you get the touchdown, people are not even talking about it. It, it, it's not even talked about. But the Seattle Seahawks were this close, very close to becoming back-to-back Super Bowl winners the first time it has been done since the Patriots did it. The second, the, the first time it's done since the Patriots did it many moons ago. But Pete Carroll, Daryl Bevel, 
They got cute. And when you get cute sometimes, bad things happen. They got too cute. They got too fancy. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what they were thinking. And Tom Brady. What about Tom Brady? Obviously, at this point in time, we have to start talking about Tom Brady as the GOAT. Six Super Bowl appearances, four Super Bowl victories. We got to start talking about Tom Brady as the GOAT. And you look at the game and, and, and how, you know, we're talking about this big time, hard nosed, bona fide, tough defense in the Legion of Boom and what they bring to the table. But Peyton Manning in that fourth quarter was able to shred that Seahawks secondary. He was able to dink and dunk up and down the field. Edelman, Gronk, Amendola, all those guys, LaFell. He was able to dink and dunk to those guys and move up and down the field in that fourth quarter, 24-14 to 14 in that fourth quarter. You're down 10 points with that Seahawks defense and, and what you're, you're the Seahawks, and you're, you have that big-time defense. You're up 10 points in that fourth quarter. You've got to be pretty excited about your chances to win that particular football game. You have to be excited. You have to almost be expecting to win that football game. And they were close. And even after all that, they still had an opportunity. Still had an opportunity to win the football game. Still had a chance, but Pete Carroll and Darryl Bevel, that call was the worst. It's worse than the miracle in the Meadowlands, Joe Pasarcha, trying to hand it off to Larry Zonka. Yes, it's worse than that. It's worse than Marty Morningweg saying, I'll take the wind and not the ball. It's worse. It's worse than anything we can think about in terms of sports in America. You know why? Because football is head and shoulders the most popular sport in America. So not only could it have been the worst call in, in NFL history, but it could go down as the worst call in American sports, period. That stage, that opportunity, and you make that call probably the worst call in the history of in America history of American sports the worst call absolutely the worst call as we go on throughout the course of this show we're going to get into a bunch of different things Pacquiao Mayweather we're going to get back into that maybe it's coming maybe it's not who knows the legacy here Tom Brady greatest greatest of all time I think so. I absolutely think so. Can the Patriots do it again? Can they repeat? We'll talk about that as well. So we've got a lot of things to get into throughout the course of these next two hours. And when we come back, we're going to bring in a guy now preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. When we come back, we're going to be joined by former Dell State tackle, defensive tackle Rodney Gunter. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had 
some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but I just don't see mean. anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I uh, was trying to throw you. you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. <laughs> we see what you can do. We've seen it. <laughs> I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. That's that Robbie. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. And we're going to bring in a guy now preparing for the upcoming NFL draft. The NFL draft is right around the corner. You know, one thing about the NFL, the season ends, and now GMs and executives are out there now looking for talent and seeing who, who they can find to be their next big thing on the next level. So the process has started. Guys are, you know, the, the combines are around the corner. And before we know it, the draft will be here and teams will be choosing names and teams will be choosing guys, hopefully for them, that will lead them into the future. Let's bring in a guy now preparing for the upcoming NFL draft, Dell State defensive tackle Rodney Gunter. Rodney. How you doing? I'm right. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Thanks for joining us. No problem. How you doing? Good, good, great. Rodney, at this point, man, I, I'm hearing you met with about 20 NFL scouts. What kind of feedback are you getting at this point? I'm getting great feedback back. Uh, I'm a great player. I have tremendous size, you know, ability. It's a process, you know, I got to embrace. They want me to get, you know, I'm coming from a small school, so, you know, it's saying I stand out, you know. And that's got to be kind of difficult for you. Like we, like you said, you're a small school guy, and a lot of people may not have seen you play, and you're not on a lot of people's radar. Tell us what you bring and what you would bring to an NFL roster. Man, uh, I bring uh, the hardworking person I am. Work ethic is tremendous, you know. Also, I bring you know, versatility. Like I'm, uh, I could be a D tackle, you know, in three technique. I could be inside nose guard. To be outside at the end, pretty versatile, you know. I'm 6'5", 300 pounds, you know, pretty solid. And you talk about your versatility, man. I was on YouTube, and I saw a 6'5", 300-pound man throw it down. You still dunking like that? Oh, of course, of course. Matter of fact, in that video, I was like 310. Now I'm 300, you know. Okay, so you did it with 10 more pounds. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty big. We're talking to former Dell State defensive tackle, defensive end Rodney Gunter. And Rodney, in 2014, you had seven sacks for Dell State. You had a pretty solid season. As a whole, talk about what you did in 2014. Well, 2014, you know, I had I had okay stats, but, you know, my goals was kind of bigger than it was, you know. But, uh, unfortunately, we finished, you know, as a team, we finished 2-10, uh, you know, Lost one, two games, lost ten. You know, unfortunately, it was a, a terrible season. You know, a rebuilding season. After the season, the coaches got fired. But uh, as myself, you know, I, I played hard. You know, I, I got all conference. 
you know, I was uh, all conference in three years, you know. So, for sure, uh, and, and another solid season for Rodney Gunter. And Rodney, what has your preparation been like as you prepare for the next level? For the next level, I'm, I carry myself as a prospect every day. Every time I get up, you know, I think about, hey, I'm a prospect now. I'm not a college student anymore, so I got to carry myself different. I got to conduct myself different, you know. For sure, for sure. And, and and when did that start for you? Did that start the moment that the football season ended and you realized that your next big stop is the NFL? Yes, sir, it did. After my last game, I was like, whoa, I'm an NFL prospect now. I'm not a college student anymore, so I got to prepare harder, two times harder than I did before. Ever, you know, for sure, for sure, you definitely gonna have to work hard if you want to get to the next level. We're talking to Dell State, former Dell State defensive tackle, defensive end Rodney Gunter. Rodney, what's next for you in terms of your preparation? Obviously, the combine is coming up. You didn't get an invite to that, but are you looking to get invites to regional combines coming up? Of course, you know, I'm still, I'm still waiting. You know, it's in God's hands right now. I'm just praying for the opportunity to showcase my talent and my ability. You know, reason combine, whatever you know. For sure. As, as of right now, I'm just waiting on the pro day. So. Okay, and, and what is that schedule? Uh, like March, like March 10th, something like that. I forgot. I'm okay. not sure. And how do you approach that your pro day? Because here's the thing: you being a small school guy, that's your big moment, your big opportunity to impress. Do you look at it as pressure? I mean, how do you approach that? I mean, I approach it with the the mindset of I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna do good. I'm gonna catch eyes. You know, I'm gonna show that my athletic ability is what it is. You know, no. So it's not. It's no pressure because I'm I'm practicing every day to get. You know, once I once you practice it, it should be like second nature. You know, for sure. Here's the one thing that's interesting about you. You played football in high school. And you only played for one year, and I'm looking at your size, six five, three hundred pounds. I mean. What took so long? Well, I played uh, I played Pop Warner every day. I just when I got to high school, I had to you know, my mom was a single parent, so I had to get me a job. Lost focus of school, my G, my GPA went down, so I decided. But I also like I pray every night to uh, have a second chance to play football because I love the sport as a, as a young kid, and uh, God made a way for me. You know, my, my 11th grade year went to summer school. Got my GPA up. I was eligible to play. Eligible to play in uh, my senior year. I went out in the spring. I went out in the spring and got my earned my spot, starting spot. For sure. Well, you, you did your thing, man, and ultimately it led to you getting to Dell State. What is one mm-hmm. thing about Rodney Gunter that we would be surprised to know? Oh, I love to dance. <laughs> okay. All right. What, what's your dance of choice? The nay nay. I mean, what, what, what do you do? Uh, Percolator. I do the whip. Okay, okay, all right. Yeah. So th- that's what's going to happen when 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 you sign an NFL contract. You're going to be doing the whoop. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> We're talking <laughs> to former Dell State defensive tackle, defensive end Rodney Gunter. At the end of the day, Rodney, should we expect to see you in the fall on Sundays on an NFL roster? Of course. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so there you have it. He said it. He expects it. Rodney Gunter will be an NFL roster in 2015 somewhere, somehow, 
some way. Obviously, man, you got a lot of work ahead of you. At yes, the sir, end I of do. the day, at the end of the day, I mean, at this point, it's very early in the process. Do you think that you will get drafted, or do you think you have to go the free agency route? Well, you know, I'm hoping I get drafted. You know, any round would be a blessing. But you know, everything happened for a reason, so I'm not going to stress it. You know. I'd be a free agent. Just got to take advantage of my opportunity, you know? For sure. And, and and speaking of taking advantage of opportunities, we look at a guy like Malcolm Butler for the Patriots who essentially came out of nowhere, or Chris Matthews uh, of the Seahawks who essentially came out of nowhere. When you hear stories like that, does that give you hope? Does that motivate you? It gave me hope and also it motivates me too also. You know, it motivates me to get that everybody is there dominant roughly. Everywhere and every team. For sure. For sure. And, and hopefully, Rodney, you could be that diamond in the rough for some NFL team coming up in 2015. Rodney, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. And when you get on that NFL roster, we got to talk about it again. Thank you very much. I will, man. Thanks for the support. Thanks Take for care. Me too, also. You too. All the best. All right. Rodney Gunter, defensive tackle, former defensive tackle, former defensive end, Dell State. Look forward to Rodney trying to get his opportunity on the next level. It is so difficult to get an opportunity on the next level. What you have to do, what you have to, the, the things that you have to do to get to the NFL, get on an NFL roster is truly and absolutely amazing. A guy like Malcolm Butler, who who basically came out of nowhere. I mean, he really came out of nowhere. And his story is absolutely phenomenal. And it's a story of, you know, not giving up. And it's also a story of when 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 your number is called and you have an opportunity, you got to make plays. You got to answer the bell. Rod and Malcolm Butler answered the bell. I mean, he studied. He knew that play was coming up. He knew that play was coming up. He saw the formation, and that's called preparation. And when you prepare like Rodney Gunner, uh, not Rodney Gunner, like Malcolm Butler prepared on that particular play, he prepared. And they say, you know, luck it meets, it is when preparation meets opportunity. And preparation meant opportunity for Malcolm Butler. I mean, preparation meant opportunity for Malcolm Butler, I mean, he played at a community college. Played at a community college. Then he went on to enroll at the University of West Alabama. <clears throat> Excuse me. Which is a D2 school. So he, he came through the hard way. He came through the hard way. And he made it work. He made it work. I mean, a man worked that pot pot. He, at one point, was making chicken and throwing biscuits at Popeye's. And ultimately, he made his way to the National Football League. He made his way to the National Football League. And, you know, he goes to batter cook, not batter cook, but he he went from cook. He was a cook. He made chicken, fried chicken, probably makes. A mean fried chicken would love to eat Malcolm Butler's Popeye's fried chicken, but he made fried chicken 
And, you know, he made one of the biggest plays in the history of the Super Bowl. I mean, that kind of play, we can talk about Mike Jones stopping Kevin Dyson. That was a huge play. We could talk about David Tyrell, Tyree, excuse me, making that tremendous catch, that amazing catch that won it for the Giants uh, many Super Bowls ago. We could talk about, and, and the funny part is, <clears throat> these are unsung heroes. I mean, David Tyree was never the same after that. didn't even play anymore. I mean, that was pretty much his, I know he had injuries the following season. He was pretty much done after that play. After David Tyree made that catch, we never heard of David Tyree no more. After that catch, that was pretty much it for David Tyree. That was pretty much it for David Tyree. I mean, he suffered a knee injury during training camp, ultimately released in 2009 by the Giants. He signed on with the Ravens. Also, you know, he worked out for the Buccaneers. He did appear in 10 games with the Ravens, but ultimately he had no receptions and really had no impact. So that was pretty much his one shining moment. And David Tyree took advantage of that one shining moment. Malcolm Butler, opportunity and preparation turns into the play of the Super Bowl. Now Tom Brady giving him his car. So now Malcolm Butler has got a Chevrolet that he's going to be driving. He's got to pay some taxes on it, but he's got Chevrolet that he's going to be driving. Maybe Brady can pay the taxes for him. Maybe Brady can pay the taxes. But Malcolm Butler says he's going to pay. Chevy Albino. That's not Chevy Albino. What am I talking about? A loaded Chevy Colorado, excuse me, a Chevy Colorado that he had, but he's going to be taxed on it. It's worth three hundred uh, thirty-five thousand. Worth thirty-five thousand. Malcolm Butler, man, this is a great time to be Malcolm Butler, and hopefully he can build on this. Hopefully he can he can do some things moving forward to solidify himself and, and make a career for himself. Hopefully this won't be like David Tyree and won't David Tyree and won't be the last time we see and hear from Malcolm Butler. He made a play, a big time play. And he won the Super Bowl. His play I mean, you know, say what you will about the play call. And it was an awful play call and there's no getting around that. The play that Malcolm Butler made was a great was a great play. He saw it coming, he read it and he attacked it. Bang. I mean, it was just boom. He saw it. He went after it. And after, in the process of going after it, he held onto the ball. I mean, that was a big-time collision he had with Ricardo Lockett. Even in that collision, he was able to still hold onto the football. He held onto the football and ultimately got the interception, which ultimately led to the Patriots winning the game. But even after that interception, you know, you, you look at it, they were down at the one-yard line. If it, I mean, if Michael Bennett ultimately went off sides, and he'd had some issues with that throughout the course of the season. But if he doesn't, who knows what could happen? Because at that point, the Patriots are going to try. They're not putting the ball in the air. They're not going to do anything crazy. They're probably going to do a quarterback sneak. And if Seattle can somehow, some way, 
get in there and, and make a play and, and somehow, some way, push Tom Brady into the end zone. Who knows? You get a safety at that point in time. Now the lead is down to two. You still would have that one timeout to play with, and who knows in terms of the punt, and who knows what you can do in terms of special teams. Maybe you can get it and, and possibly put your team in position to do something. But ultimately, you still would have that one timeout. Maybe you can get a long throw or something. You can set up for a field goal. I don't know. Obviously, it was a long shot. And at the end of the day, it was pretty much over after that interception. But I'm still shocked. I'm still stunned. I'm still amazed. I'm still speechless. I'm still speechless after that particular play. I can't believe that Pete Carroll would decide to put the ball in the air. I can't believe that Daryl Bevel decided to put that ball in the air. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Marshawn Lynch. Beast mode. Beast mode. Beast mode. I mean, I mean, you can't say it anymore. Marshawn Lynch, one of the best backs in football. One of the best backs in football. And you decide to go elsewhere. You decide. I mean, Marshawn, it's, it's, the, it's the right play call. And I know they were concerned about the time and everything, but if you really were concerned about the time, you could have got to the line a lot quicker than you did and still had an opportunity to run the ball at least. I think you could have ran the ball at least two more times because you had still a timeout to play with. You could have, if you got to, you got tackled with about a minute and two seconds left. Let's just say you get to the line, you get to play off at 40 seconds. He gets tackled. You can decide there to call a timeout or you could try to line it up one more time run the football, and see what happens. You still have that at that point. Let's just say it takes 20 seconds to get it up and set up and try to run the football again. Well, you still have 20 seconds. You run the football. You get stopped. You still got a timeout to play with. There was opportunities. I mean, it was second and goal. Second and goal. So you could have got to the line with 40 seconds to go. It was a minute, two seconds. Got to the line, ran the ball. Third and goal, you get stopped. Okay, play is probably not going to take long. You get back to the line, it's about 20, 15 seconds to go. You run the ball one more time, you get stopped. You call the timeout, and guess what? You set up, you prepare for the next play. You decide on the play and what you want to do. You could have even did a quarterback sneak. You could have did something. You could have did anything. You could have did anything, but you decided to throw the football in that particular situation. You decided to throw the football in the middle of the field in that particular situation. A bunch of things could have happened. And the one thing that you did not want to happen, obviously you wanted two things to happen in terms of passing. Either you catch it or it's an incomplete pass. Three things, or maybe a penalty. But you didn't want the interception. That's not what you wanted. And even... And here's also the thing about the play. You call a pick play, which is illegal. A pick is illegal. So hypothetically speaking, if you call that pick play and the pick play gets spotted out by the referees and they call the flag, well, guess what? You're backed up 10 yards. So it just the play just didn't make any sense. It made no sense. And it's just no getting around it. It made no sense. It made no sense. And it probably is the worst it's the worst call not only in football, but it's the worst call in the history of sports. 
It's the biggest prize in American sports, the Super Bowl. It's the biggest event in American sports, the Super Bowl. It's the biggest event. And you, you decide that you want to just, I, I don't know. And there's all different types. Excuse me, all different types of conspiracy theories out here. Some saying, oh, maybe they wanted Russell Wilson to be the face of the franchise. He is the face of the franchise. But as Deion Sanders points out, Marshawn Lynch is the heart of that particular football team. Maybe it was about putting the spotlight on Russell Wilson. Maybe. I mean, you've heard all different types of conspiracies. And I'm not buying any of those conspiracies because at the end of the day, you're not going to sabotage an opportunity to win a Super Bowl because you're worried about Russell Wilson getting the, the, the getting the praise. You're not going to do that. I, that to me, and if you did, and, that, and if that was your mindset, your thoughts, and, and that's what you were thinking, then, you know, that, that, that's a bigger issue. And that's something that you need to really think about. Because if that was if that was what Pete Carroll was thinking, then I don't know what to say because that, you, you you don't here's the thing about the Super Bowl, here's the thing about NFL season. There are no guarantees that the Seahawks will ever get to that spot again. No guarantees. And especially with free agency in the National Football League. What I mean by that, teams sometimes are turned upside down, especially if you have the success that the Seahawks have had over the past few seasons. Well guess what? Teams are gonna throw money at some of your free agents. And the guys that you had, guys that you need, guys who helped you win, if you can't do what you got to do to bring those guys back, obviously some teams are going to throw big-time money at some guys. Byron Maxwell, teams are, some teams might throw big-time money at Byron Maxwell. So he probably may not be back. I mean, obviously you're going to have to pay Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson was an absolute bargain these past three seasons in that rook, under that rookie contract. Now you've got to break the bank. For Russell Russell Wilson, obviously you're, you're going to have to probably pay Marshawn Lynch. So you, you got a lot of things that come into play when it comes to getting to the Super Bowl and winning a Super Bowl. And the Seahawks had an opportunity for a dynasty in some respect. I mean, in today's era of free agency, where like I said, teams are sometimes turned upside down, especially when you have the type of success that the Seahawks have had over the years. You know, you got to break through. You can't mess around. And I go back, and I, and I always go back to the 49ers. You know, those three years and what they did and how close they got, and they never could break through. And look what happened this year. Your team falls apart. Now you get rid of your coach, Jim Harbaugh, who was a key ingredient to your success, and now you're going in a totally different direction. Obviously, you take someone off the staff, but at the end of the day, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how that's going to respond, and you don't know. And you don't know if you're the Seahawks if you can get back to that point, but because getting back to that point requires, uh, you know, your team to stay healthy. You know, no major injuries. And you look at the Seahawks in that particular game, you know, Earl Thomas played played with a torn labor. You know, uh, Richard Sherman's going to have to get Tommy John surgery on that elbow. So those guys were bruised and battered and banged up. So there are no guarantees. In this, in this league, that you'll ever get back to that point again, you had that opportunity, that chance to be back-to-back Super Bowl, to be a back-to-back Super Bowl winner. You had that opportunity. You had that chance, and you let it slip away because of an awful play call. 
an awful play call. That's rough. That's tough. And then it's just tough to fathom at this point in time. It's it's, it's tough to 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 put into words, and and it's tough to put in put in put it into perspective what happened in that particular situation and, and the aftermath of it, and 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 you know the opportunity that you had. If you're the Seahawks to win a second Super Bowl, it's just amazing. Let's go to Johnny Manziel now. And, you know, Johnny Manziel has checked himself into rehab at this point in time. Johnny Manziel feels like, you know, he needs to get better. He needs to become a better person in order for Johnny Manziel to become a better person. Johnny Manziel feels like Johnny Manziel needs to go to rehab to make that happen. Hopefully. Johnny Manziel can can go into rehab and, and, and work through what he needs to work through and deal with, with what he needs to deal with. And, you know, his advisor said, quote, Johnny knows there are areas in which he needs to improve in order to be a better family member, member friend, and teammate. And he thought the offseason was the right time to take this step. He's expected to be there for a few weeks. And so, you know, Johnny Manziel, the reality is Johnny Manziel is a guy who, you know, he he went out there this season and and just based off of what you're hearing, didn't do and put in the necessary work it took to become a big-time top-flight NFL quarterback. And the bottom line is this. I was never – and first and foremost, I hope this guy, whatever problems, whatever demons – that he has to deal with. I hope he can deal with him and get him, uh, you know, put behind him so he can ultimately become a better person. Hopefully he can become a better person. But here's the reality of the situation. One of the first steps in getting help is admitting that you have a problem. Obviously Johnny feels like he has some issues that he needs to work through. In order for him to effectively work through these issues, he needs to sit down with a counselor. He needs to go to rehab so he can get it right, so he can become a better person, so he can become the guy that, you know, he wants to be. And like he said, the family member that he wants to be, the person that he wants to be. And I hope Johnny can become that. I really do. Do I think Johnny is an NFL quarterback? I have my questions, and I'm going to, after that, you know, here's the thing. Obviously, he still has time to get this thing get this thing right. He, he has time. So, I, you know, I'm I'm – at this point, I, I never thought Johnny would have a lot of success in the NFL. But at the same time, you know, you still want to see him get right. And can he still, I mean, can he get right? Yes, of course. Will he get right? We hope so. But can he still be a top-flight quarterback in the National Football League? Maybe. But he's got a lot of work to do. And you just can't do what you do, did in college and expect to get by. There's so many leaps and so many jumps you have to take to be good from high school to college and then from college to the NFL is a whole different, another level type of jump you got to do. And and so Johnny obviously was not ready, was not prepared for what it took to do what it took to be successful in the next level. He wasn't, he couldn't do it. And, you know, we've seen, we've heard the stories of partying and drinking and missing sessions and, treatment sessions and things of that nature. We heard stories at ESPN.com story, him cramming to try to understand and know the, the plays and everything, him not saying the play is right in the huddle, 
We've heard the stories. We've heard the stories, him not putting the work in. The stories that are out there about Johnny. Him being so drunk that, you know, they, they, they had to come and knock on his door to get him to get, you know, to get him to the Browns facilities. I mean, so, and he's in Cleveland, mind you. It's not like he's in New York City. It's not like he's in some kind of big-time big city. You know, it's not like he's in a big city, a big-time party city. He's not in Miami. He's in Cleveland. So you wonder if Johnny were to go, you know, to a big city, even like a Dallas. You wonder how he would handle it at this point in time. We don't know what's going to happen after he gets the help that he needs. But I just didn't think he was an NFL caliber quarterback. I really didn't. And, you know, I guess I was validated on some level, at least in year one, after what I saw in that Cincinnati game where he was awful. I mean, he was awful. He just looked ill-prepared. He just the, the game looked bigger. The game looked faster. The game just looked stronger than anything that Johnny Manziel brought to the table. It just he just didn't he didn't seem like he had the goods to be out there. He didn't seem like he had the goods to be successful. He just didn't you didn't see it. You didn't see it, and ultimately he came out there and he stunk to join up. You know, DiFilippo, offense coordinator for the Browns. Not sure if we have the quarterback of the future in this room, in the, lo- in the locker room, on this roster. And Cleveland has a lot of questions at the quarterback position. And whether they bring back Brian Hoyer, I think you still have questions. But if you're going to bring in Johnny Man- if, if Johnny Manziel is going to be the guy, you've got a lot more questions. And I don't think Cleveland can do that at this point in time, especially after what's happened in his rookie season. What's even going on now? You know, getting the help that he needs doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to find the help that he needs. Getting the help that he needs doesn't mean he's going to get that help, that he's going to be a changed person overnight. Getting that help that he needs may also mean a few times where he may, you know, take a step back. So if you're the Cleveland Browns, you have a decision to make. You have to figure out who your quarterback is going to be. And whether it's Brian Hoyer, who led this team at one point in time to a 7-4 and record, if he, he fell off. There's no doubt about it. He played awful. He, he played awful down the stretch there. I mean, I, was watch, I remember that game against the Indianapolis Colts and watching that game and you know, Andrew Luck had a bad day. The defense scored twice for the Browns. And Andrew Luck had a bad day in that particular game. But ultimately, Hoyer never could make the plays. He had some open guys, and he just missed them in that game. And, you know, that was before the week before he got benched for Manziel. Manziel had a pretty good drive for uh, Cleveland against Buffalo. Ultimately, they lost the game. But at the same time, Johnny Manziel showed you something. And uh, here's my thing. The coaches, I know Hoyer had some issues down the stretch there, but the coaches had to see that Johnny Manziel wasn't ready. I mean, it, it became painfully obvious that Johnny Manziel was not ready the way he performed against the Bengals. It, it was painfully obvious because that was a painful football game to watch. And it was painful to see Johnny Mantell play 
the way he played. He played like a guy who wasn't ready. And will he ever, will he ever get ready and be ready? Will he ever be that guy? And here's the thing. I mean, you know, again, you want him to become a better person. Now he's there to, quote, unquote, improve himself. What does that mean? Time will tell whether that means he has a drinking problem, whether that means he needs, you know, he has personality issues, whether that needs, whether that means he needs a, a life coach maybe to motivate him to become a better person. I don't know what it means. But time will be the judge whether this will help Johnny Manziel. And I think if you're the Browns, you know, while this is a good step and a good sign to see this kid get the help that he needs, how long do you wait to, to, to see whether or not you have your franchise quarterback? Do you have to act now on some level and try to see what you can do to move up to maybe get your hands on a Marcus Mariota, maybe get your, get your hands on a Jameis Winston? Jameis Winston's probably going to be a lot more difficult than Marcos, Marcus Mariota because, you know, according to some draft boards out there, Mariota is dropping. But Cleveland, I don't think, has their quarterback of the future. And I think Cleveland is going to have to try to find that quarterback of the future. You need that franchise guy. Franchise guys win Super Bowls. Tom Brady wins Super Bowls. Russell Wilson, he's a franchise guy. I know the defense, he has a big-time defense, but he was this close to winning back-to-back Super Bowls. He's a franchise-caliber quarterback. Andrew Luck is a franchise-caliber quarterback. You just look at the playoffs. Look at the playoffs and look at the teams that played in these playoffs and look at the quarterbacks for those teams in the playoffs. You look at the Colts, they were in the playoffs. You look at the Colts, Andrew Luck. You look at the Ravens, Joe Flacco. You look at the Panthers, Cam Newton. You look at the Patriots, obviously Tom Brady, Seahawks, Russell Wilson, Broncos, Peyton Manning, Cowboys. Tony Romo's a franchise quarterback. Tony Romo, the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, franchise guy. You look at the Steelers, even though they lost in the first round. Ben Roethlisberger is a franchise quarterback. You look at the Lions. I think Matthew Stafford, he's there. I mean, you. I think you can win with Matthew Stafford as your quarterback. But he's an upper He's. You could do a lot worse than Matthew Stafford. How about that? And Andy Dalton, you know, say what you want to say about Andy Dalton, but each and every year he started in the National Football League each and every year, the Bengals made it to the playoffs. He hasn't won the playoffs, but he for sure has gotten them there. Hasn't won, but he's gotten them to that point. Four times, four years, four playoff appearances for Andy Dalton. Not sure you can win with him, but you can argue that if you can get to the uh, the playoffs four straight years, then your quarterback is pretty much a franchise caliber guy. But the bottom line is you need a quarterback. You need a quarterback to win in this league. Unless you have a tremendous big-time defense. Unless you have the 2000 Ravens defense. 
unless you have the 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, unless you have a defense of that caliber, unless you have a defense that brings the pain that those two defenses bring to the table, then, you know, maybe you can get away with having an average quarterback. But franchise quarterbacks win in the National Football League. And when you have a franchise caliber guy, you look at Green Bay. Each and every year, you think the Packers have a decent shot because of their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. The Patriots and Tom Brady, a guy that you can argue has really has not had the best of the best in terms of weapons, the creme de la creme in terms of weapons. But Tom Brady, you always have a shot when Tom Brady's your quarterback. Peyton Manning, great regular season quarterback, a guy who holds all these different type of records. Guess what? You have a shot with Peyton Manning as your quarterback. Andrew Luck, he's still growing. He's still evolving. But the Colts have a shot at least for the playoffs with Andrew Luck as your quarterback. You need a franchise guy. You get the point. You get my drift. You need a franchise caliber guy if you want to win in the National Football League. Bottom line, point blank. You got to get that guy. Seattle's found that guy. And obviously the Patriots have that guy who many believe, who I believe, might be the GOAT. That is the greatest of all time. Charles Haley has some interesting comments when talking about the New England Patriots. Charles Haley called Tom Brady's Super Bowl rings tainted. Calls them tainted. And, you know, we'll see what happens with the flake gate and how that all turns out. But he called Tom Brady's rings tainted. Quote, Joe didn't have to cheat, talking about Joe Montana. I've lost all respect for Brady. When your integrity is challenged in the game of football, to me, all his Super Bowls are tainted. You have to say, this just didn't happen overnight. Who wants the shadow over them? Who wants that shadow over them? Excuse me. I could be wrong. But I realized there were 12 balls deflated and 12 ain't. Then you got Belichick coming on three different, try, three different times trying to explain it. You know something is wrong. And, and that's what Charles Haley believed. That's what he believed. And, and I don't know if I go to that level tainted. Because here's the thing. I know, you know, the Spygate situation, we never truly found out what was on all those tapes. We never truly found out whether or not there is a videotape of the, uh, the Rams walkthrough. We never truly found out those things. But here's the thing at the end of the day. Even after Spygate and the tapes were destroyed, the Patriots the next season, what, 18-0? and They went 18-0. and I mean, you know, this close to winning a David Tyree amazing catch away from winning and being an undefeated Super Bowl winner. So they still had success, even after the situation with the deflated footballs and them beating the Indianapolis Colts. Footballs were inflated or deflated 
beach ball or any type of ball, a baseball, a puck, any type of ball, you name it, basketball, it wouldn't have mattered. The New England Patriots were a better football team, and they would have beat the uh, Indianapolis Colts a bunch of different times. And in this Super Bowl, those balls were protected. There was no way to deflate those footballs. There was Secret Service type protection around those footballs. And even with the balls being properly inflated and being within 12.5 and 13.5 PSI, the New England Patriots still won and still beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. You could call them, you know, I mean, I don't know what kind of competitive advantage, if any, the Patriots got with the with the deflated footballs. Who knows? Who knows? We don't know if the Patriots purposely deflated the footballs. We don't know. Does it look like they did? Possibly, yes. But we don't know. This investigation comes back, and, and they say, well, we found out that, that, that Tom Brady and conspired, along with ball boys and, and whoever else on the Patriots staff, conspired to, to deflate the footballs. If we find that out, does that take away anything from the Super Bowl? It might take some away. It might take a little bit off the Super Bowl. It might take a little bit away from the Super Bowl. It might take a little bit away from Belichick and Brady's legacy. But I don't know how much. I don't know how much. I really don't. Because how much was an advantage? I mean, you got, you got people talking about, well, you know, stealing signs and, and things of that nature have been going on since the beginning of time. Deflating footballs and, and, and you know, Jeff Blake talked about, you know, how footballs were manipulated over the years. You're hearing contrasting views when it comes to the situation. Obviously, if the ball is deflated in a way that is conducive to what you do in terms of being able to throw the football a lot better, then it's a competitive advantage. No doubt. No doubt. But as we look at both of those football games, as we watch both of those football games, did you did it really matter? And to, well, Indianapolis came when the balls were truly deflated, at least for that first half. Well, you look at the second half. It was 28 to nothing. Advantage Patriots in that second half. So obviously the ball pressure didn't matter. And obviously there was no issues with ball pressure against the Seahawks. So what am I saying? This might be much to do about nothing. What am I saying? Maybe it really doesn't take the luster off this Super Bowl win and the other three Super Bowl wins in terms of the Spygate situation. Maybe it doesn't. But Tom Brady, and, you know, people, obviously, you know, I'm not saying people are out there discrediting Tom Brady and the Patriots, because on some level they put it on themselves. The spy gate and the, and the deflate gate, that is something that they may have put on themselves. But the reason that the Patriots probably don't get that benefit of the doubt is because of spy gate. Deflate gate gets more attention because of spy gate. I mean, you got the Cleveland Browns. And Ray Farmer texting illegally his coaches, illegally, you know, allegedly. There, there's some things out there in terms of texting. 
And, you know, maybe the Browns and Ray Farmer, maybe Ray Farmer could get suspended. Or the Browns organization could lose a draft pick. And if you're Ray Farmer, obviously Ray Farmer's text didn't help. It didn't help because Cleveland didn't make the playoffs. Didn't. You know, they were 7-4 and four at one point, but ended up 7-9. Ended up and nine. So it didn't help. I mean, it really didn't help that much. At the end of the day, you need players. You need ballers. You need guys that can get it done for you. And, you know, at the end of the day, Tom Brady is a baller. Tom Brady is a guy that can get it done for you. Tom Brady, I think it's safe to say, is the greatest of all time. And I don't think we can deny that at this point. I I think if you're denying it, I think you just hate the Patriots. I really do. In this era of football where the turnaround and the change is so drastic than what we've seen in the past and the continuity that Joe Montana had with a lot of his guys and, and how teams were able to stay together back in the day, they're not able to stay together in today's NFL. And Tom Brady, whether it's Troy Brown, David Patton, Deion Branch, whether it's Jermaine Wiggins, whether, you know, whether it's Antoine Smith, doesn't matter. Whether it's LeGarrette Blunt, doesn't matter. Julian Edelman, Brandon LaFell. You know, it, it's, it's not the who's who's in wide receivers and weaponry. I mean, obviously Gronk, I'll give him that. Gronk is the more you watch Gronk, and you know if he keeps up and keeps playing at this level, he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. But there are not many Hall of Famers on that roster, other than that Tom Brady has played with, other than Randy Moss. And when he had Randy Moss, he guess what? He set all different types of records that season. You know, all different types of records broke all different types of records. Made all different types of plays. Tom Brady had 50 touchdowns that season. Went undefeated. So you, when, you, when you gave him a Hall of Famer and Randy Moss, he put up incredible numbers. It doesn't matter. The, the, the only, uh, in a lot of ways over the years, the only constant is Brady and Belichick. Tom Brady has done so much with so little. It, I mean, he's done so much with so little. He didn't have a Jerry Rice. He didn't have a John Taylor. He didn't have a Roger Craig. He didn't have that. He didn't have that. And at the end of the day, he is the greatest of all time. Six Super Bowl appearances. Four Super Bowl victories. An undefeated season. Regular season. I mean, in this day and age, how difficult is it to go undefeated? It's tough. I mean, he was this close, that close, very close to becoming a guy who had an undefeated season. He's the greatest of all time. And you look at that fourth quarter and what he, the, the show he put on in that fourth quarter, even after throwing two bad interceptions. He overcame, he shook it off, and he dominated. 
that fourth quarter against that big-time Legion of Boom defense. Tom Brady, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. The second hour of Go For It starts right now. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! And we're back. Second hour of Go For It. Started right now. In this hour, big-time hour coming up. Rob Ninkovich, defensive end of the New England Patriots. The guy who made the big-time sack on Russell Wilson in that fourth quarter when the Patriots were down 10. The guy on third and one with his game tied at 14 made a big tackle on Russell Wilson, uh, Marshawn Lynch that you know stopped him short of the first down. The guy who was on the field when Malcolm Butler made the play of the game. Rob Ninkovich will be joining us in the next couple minutes, so make sure you stick around for that. And in this hour, also Hall of Famer. Willie Rofe, we're going to get Willie's take on what he saw in that Super Bowl. What, you know, what, what, what he thought happened and why, why the New England Patriots are Super Bowl winners. I mean, he actually predicted that the Patriots would win the Super Bowl. He predicted, actually predicted that the Patriots would win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the season. But he predicted it. He predicted it. And so... We'll see. We'll see. But I look forward to talking to Willie Rofe. And, you know, here's the one thing in the NFL. I mean, this, you got this off season, and now you got guys getting in trouble. Joseph Randall getting in trouble. You know, the same Joseph Randall who tried to steal underwear, polo draws earlier in the season. Well, you know, he got caught with marijuana. And now his ex-girlfriend <clears> – <throat> has a temporary protective order against him at this point in time. Apparently, she said that Randall threatened to, to blast her vehicle, shoot her vehicle, you know. And, you know, even with the son, allegedly with her son inside, he said he would blast the vehicle. So we don't even know. The drug charge was ultimately dropped against Joseph Randall. But who who knows what's going to happen who knows whether he'll get charged with domestic violence? Who knows? But Joseph Randall, right now, right now, you know, it, who knows what's going to happen with Joseph Randall? Who knows if Joseph Randall is going to do time? Who knows? I don't know. But I know one thing. It's that time of the year where guys start getting in trouble. When, when guys start doing things they're not supposed to be doing. When guys don't have the same type of structure that they had during the season and they just start doing dumb things. Just start doing some dumb things. And and, and it's 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 sad. I mean it really is sad. And I know, you know 
you guys, and you know, I don't want to, you know, characterize and chastise that all guys in the NFL are bad, and you know, you know, but it's no different than anybody else in society in terms of statistically. Actually, it's less. But you know, obviously, these guys are on a pedestal on some level, and these guys, a lot is expected of them. And so those got these guys doing God knows what, you know, doing God knows what. And, and you know, Joseph Randall, especially a guy like Joseph Randall, and the stuff that he's been through, you know, in, in, in terms of the things that he did. I mean, come on. Joseph Randall, you want him now, if you're the Cowboys, to get this thing right. You want him now, if you're the Cowboys, but him now, you're the Cowboys, to mm. do things the right way. That's what you right. want. That's what you want. And Joseph Randall, at this point in time, obviously is, is not creating a good situation for himself. He's just not. And, you know, you, you got to be better. You got to be better. You got to do better. You got to do better. And hopefully... He can do better. And hopefully, you know, a lot of these guys, I mean, you don't want to see it. You know, season ends and now these guys start getting in trouble. Season ends and now guys are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. I mean, you don't want to see that. You don't want to see that at all. And we've seen, we're seeing that in the National Football League now in this off season. We're seeing it, and hopefully we won't see it again. But let's go back to happy times. We're about to bring in a guy now who, who made plays, who did some big time. I mean, two plays that we kind of overlook because we focus on that final play. But that sack by Nikovic, I heard Boomer Sides to talk about how much that changed the game. And then that stop on Russell Wilson on that third and one at the eight-yard line in that, fourth, in that third quarter, Seattle just scored a touchdown to tie the football game at 14 before the halftime. And then they were on their way moving down the field with the possibility of scoring another touchdown. And how much of, of a momentum swing with that? They had the momentum, but that would have just made even more so for the Seattle Seahawks. It was a big play by this guy. Let's bring him in now. One of the heroes and one of the stars of the New England Patriots defensive end, Rob Ninkovich. Rob, how are you, man? What's up, guys? I'm good. I'm uh, just uh, at home hanging out. <laughs> Enjoying yourself, right? Enjoying myself. Yes, sir. The parade was yesterday, Rob. How was it? Seemed like a good time. Uh, it, it was amazing. Um, you know, the, the support from the fans of Boston, um, you know, everyone came out so much so many more fans than I anticipated, really. Um, it was just unbelievable. There was people climbing all over the, the snow hills that they had out there because we had about 30 inches of snow in Boston. So um, just people everywhere, people hanging out of the windows, um, all the buildings. It was it was pretty special. It sounds like it, and it looked like it yesterday, and I know you were having a great old time. Rob, let's get right down to the play. Everybody's talking about the call, the Seattle Seahawks down there at the one-yard line, about 26 seconds left in, to go in the game. When you saw Russell Wilson drop back, were you shocked? Well, I mean, 
I knew that we were in a, a run-stopping defense, so it really wasn't a shock to me. I mean, I know that um, Lynch is an unbelievable running back and very strong, and um, I just think that with that particular play, they thought it was a very high percentage play that they were just going to run that pick pick route and it was going to be a you know easy touchdown. So, um, I, I, hats off to to Malcolm. He made a heck of a play on the ball. It's like he was shot out of a cannon to go get that thing. So, um, again, it it was awesome. I uh, I saw the whole thing. I had a front row seat and uh, I'm a Super Bowl champion. So it was the best play uh, I've ever seen. Was it the worst call ever, in your opinion? You know, I mean, as far as, as calls go, I know how coaches, um, you know, their mentality is they're, they're all about matchups and they're all about um, putting, putting their team or their players in the best possible position. So with us being in a heavy run-stopping front, even though, yes, I mean, Lynch is a very powerful back, you know, all your um, experience would say throw the ball when they're in that in that type of um, defense. So, I mean, I'm not going to say um, that's the worst call because, you know, if I was a coach and I saw the front that was out on the field and um, I had the receivers that I wanted on the field, I would have thrown it in. Was there ever any thought of just letting Seattle score so you guys could get the ball back to Tom Brady? Well, unfortunately for me, my last Super Bowl experience ended with us letting a, a running back score. So I did not want to have that um, terrible feeling like I did in that last Super Bowl. So, you know, luckily we were able to make a play, stop them, win the football game. And, you know, there was a lot of plays before that one play sure. that, uh, you know, helped us win the game. For sure. We're talking to Patriots defensive end Rob Ninkovich. And, Rob, Malcolm Butler said when he saw the formation, he had an idea of what play was going to be called. He remembers practicing that play with you guys during practice. When you saw the formation, did you have an idea of the play that was going to be called? Well, I knew that in that particular formation, that was one of their pick pick formations to where the bound the ball guy tries to rub or um, – get in the way of the defensive cover guy and um, the stack receiver behind runs either an out or an in route. Um, and I actually thought it was going to be some type of play where Russell was maybe running or moving in the pocket, maybe like a dash play. Um, just so like when you're in that low red area, quarterbacks, if they're, if they're kind of scrambling a little bit, if they don't see um, any open receivers, they don't like what they see. They just throw it through the back of the end zone and it's just incomplete pass. So, um, I was anticipating anticipating maybe one of those plays, um, but um, I mean Malcolm, just like he said, um, you know, had a, had that play in practice. So when he saw it, he knew it, and he um, executed. For sure, he executed, made a tremendous play. And, and Malcolm Butler, kind of like you, you guys got into the NFL and came up the hard way. Seeing Malcolm Butler make that particular play, how much did that make you feel good knowing that he had a similar journey uh, to yours? Well, I mean, Malcolm, um, he's a tremendous football player. So um, I think he just made the best of his opportunities. He's done that since he got here day one. Um, You know, the first day that he was on the practice field with us, I mean, everyone was looking at him like, who is this kid? Um, You know, he's very explosive, very quick. 
um, has a nose for the football. So, you know, he's been doing things like that all year. Um, and in practice, he's been excelling. He's been, you know, picking off Tom Brady in practice a, no, a number of times. So, um, you know, I was, I'm excited for him, um, you know, for him to do that on the biggest stage and the biggest game. Um, you know, it's, it's awesome for him. And he's going to live, you know, live with that for the rest of his life, which is, you know, it's unbelievable. We're talking to Patriots defensive end Rob Ninkovich. And, Rob, you talked about there were many plays before that last play that you guys made in order to get back into that football game and ultimately win that football game. Let's go to you. Your first big play, that third and one from the eight-yard line where you stopped Marshawn Lynch short of the first down. I heard you say that you knew it was coming. Tell us about it. Yeah, um, you know, the the back was offset to me, um, and I had Hightower was to my left. So um, our responsibilities as far as the replay um, were changed, and I looked at the tackle and I kind of I was reading his eyes and his body posture, his positioning, and his footwork, and he was he was down blocking. I could tell he was going down on on Vince. So um, I just right before the ball was snapped, I just made a decision. I'm going to go tackle Lynch. Um, if he had the ball or if he didn't have the ball, I was just going to go hit him and um, you know stop him before he got the first down. If Russell, uh, if Wilson would have pulled the ball, Hightower was was there um, to my left to. To, to get him there. So um, it was just one of those plays where, um, you know, everyone did their job. I was able to to uh, run down, um, tackle Lynch from behind before he was able to, to get that first down. And your next big play, I mean, another big play, you know, you guys down 10 points, third and seven uh, for the Seattle Seahawks. You come around, you make a big-time sack. Talk about that play. And talk about what that play meant for your team. Yeah, you know, I think that that play um, was a great team effort. Um, you know, everyone did a great job. Our secondary um, really did a great job of locking out all the receivers. Um, on that play, again, um, Hightower was to my left. He walked up on the line of scrimmage. And I kind of was the the guy that was watching the quarterback, so to speak. So if he was to break the pocket or try and scramble for a first down, um, it was my responsibility. So... Um, as I was kind of scraping along the line of scrimmage, I had seen an opening where Chandler made an inside move on the guard. And, uh, you know, I just saw it and took it. And by the time he saw me, he couldn't adjust and he just, you know, ducked. So, you know, it was definitely a great um, play all the way around for our whole defense. And, uh, yeah, you know, definitely it was an awesome feeling to give our offense the ball back. And, you know, those guys, the more chances they have, the better um, – our opportunity is to win. For sure. And let's go back to that final drive again for the Seahawks. Jermaine Curse, he makes that incredible catch, puts the Seahawks right down there inside the 10. What was your reaction to that catch? Well, at first I was, you know, trying to make sure it was a, a catch. And, you know, I didn't know if maybe the ball hit the ground or, you know, what had happened there. So I had to, I looked at the replay, saw the ball, you know, the football gods, you know, made a crazy play happen where the ball, you know, was tipped and went straight up and straight back down into his hands, and it was a catch. So, you know, instantly I, I moved on from it. And I said, hey, we got to stop him. We're on the five. Um, you know, we got to, we got to, that whole bend but don't break mentality, we got to, we got to do that. You guys were down 10 at one point in that fourth quarter. Did you think, at any point, did you lose any type of confidence? Did the team lose any type of confidence? 
No, not at all. I think that, um, you know, going back to that, that play that was the third and seven sack, um, I really didn't even, um, I didn't, I celebrate with anybody. You know, I got up and I ran right to the sideline because I wanted to, I wanted that ball to be punted back to us so fast. Right. I wanted us to score. Um, I just our sense of urgency at that point, you know, was was through the roof because I looked. I kept looking at the clock, and the game was moving really fast. I remember the first quarter being over. Yeah. And I was like, really, like it, this is a really fast moving game. Um, so when I when we were in the fourth quarter, I just knew that we had to really capitalize on the the, the few opportunities we had left. And surely you guys did. And one of the reasons you guys did was the great Tom Brady. He was flawless in that fourth quarter, 13 for 15, 124 yards, two touchdowns. We've seen a lot of great Tom Brady over the years. Where does this performance rank for you? Where does that fourth quarter rank for you in terms of Tom Brady and some of the great things he's done in his career? I mean, it's the best. It's got to be the best. Um, You know, that last drive – um, I think he was nine for nine, um, didn't miss a throw, and he was on target. Um, even when they kind of got um, sidetracked there with one of the penalties, it kind of brought him back a little bit. Um, I think the next play was to Gronk, um, one of those crossing routes. It was a perfect throw, um, with a great, a great cover guy right on his hip, and it was a wonderful throw. And then the last play, the, the last touchdown to Jules. Uh, you know, he made a tremendous route and scored. So, you know, again, it was just a team effort, and that's what it's all about, especially in the Super Bowl. Um, it's always going to take everybody, and it's going to take 60 minutes. We're talking to Patriots defensive end Rob Nigovich, and you talked about Julian Edelman. And one of the takeaways, one of the things I took away from that Super Bowl was the toughness of Julian Edelman. Talk about that. I mean, yeah, the kid is – is very tough. Um, you know, throughout the year, he's, he's been that way um, every game for us. He's, he's just been that, that guy that's making plays, making guys miss, um, and taking shots and just continuing to uh, to, to move forward. So, um, again, I'm happy for him. He's been through, um, you know, a lot of things in his career as well. And, uh, you know, I'm happy for him. For sure. Tom Brady six Super Bowl appearances, wins his fourth Super Bowl, tied with Montana, tied with Bradshaw. At the end of the day, after winning this fourth Super Bowl, after six Super Bowl appearances, after having the much, most touchdowns as a quarterback in Super Bowl history, is Tom Brady the greatest of all time? Well, you know, he, he's definitely um, the greatest quarterback um, that I can think of. Um, you know, again, he... And he's not done. So he's a great, great um, competitor, um, great teammate. You know, he pushes everyone to be better. And, uh, yeah, he's definitely um, the best ever. For sure. I mean, I I think at this point it's kind of hard to argue against it. I know Joe Montana was great, but it's hard to argue against six Super Bowl appearances and four Super Bowl titles, three MVP in the Super Bowl for Tom Brady, absolutely. I think he is the greatest of all time. Before the Super Bowl, Rob, there was a lot of talk of the Flake Gate, and you know, if we find out after the investigation that you guys did have something to do with the footballs being deflated, does that take away anything from this championship run? 
Well, you know, like I said, um, you know, I've said in previous interviews, you know, there wasn't anything going on with that. I think that really that was, you know, something that could have um, affected our preparation, and we didn't let that affect our preparation. So, um, you know, I've, I've already said a bunch about it. I, just, I think it, it's silly, and, um, you know, again, it's just one of those things that uh, you, you have to deal with. But as a team, I think we did a great job of moving past it and really focusing in on what their next game was, it was the biggest game of our lives. Did it bring you guys together? Well, I mean, throughout the year, I think we had a lot of uh, different obstacles that really brought us together. Um, I think back to Kansas City when, yeah. you know, everyone really counted us out and, um, you know, said that our season was over. And, you know, again, for us to move past that and really um, go on a long stretch of tough games, um I think we had six really tough games in a row with really good quarterbacks that we were playing. And, uh, you know, we, we did great. We continued to improve, um, really became a, a overall very mentally tough football team. Now, we, we talked a lot about the football. How were the parties? I mean, what, what were the parties like after winning the Super Bowl? <laughs> well, they were pretty awesome. I mean, you can... You can read and see all the pictures uh, of some of my teammates enjoying the festivities. But, uh, yeah, no, it was cool. I mean, Rick Ross, Pitbull, um, you know, a lot of flow rider, a lot of, lot of good artists um, performing for us. And it was, it was a great celebration. And it was kind of like your wedding day. It just really went, it went really yeah. fast. Like everything happened um, quickly and then it was over. So, um, you know, you just try to take it all in and enjoy it while you're in the moment and um yeah i mean it was it was a great experience and uh i really enjoyed myself how long now do you enjoy this victory before you start preparing for next season yeah i mean i'm gonna enjoy it for a couple of weeks here i'm gonna you know go on vacation relax a little bit um you know i try to eat somewhat healthy during the season so you know once the season's over i had a few um Two burgers. Yesterday I had two pizzas, um, a milkshake today, pieces of cake. Like I've been kind of going crazy with it. <laughs> a couple more weeks and I'll get back in the um, working out a little bit. For sure. I mean, that, that, that's, is that stuff you usually stay away from for the most part? I try, yeah, because I don't want to be uh, three technique, <laughs> 290. <laughs> I don't want to get, get too heavy, you know. For sure. <laughs> We're talking to Patriots defensive end Rob Nikovich. And Rob, Obviously, man, you've had an amazing journey to get to this point. You were released a few times before you caught on with the Patriots. At one point, you only played seven games in three years. As you look back on the past and look about look at right now winning the Super Bowl and everything, does your past make this Super Bowl all the more sweeter? Oh, uh, definitely. Um, you know, when that when that ball was intercepted, and I, you know finally hit me that we won I mean I'm not gonna lie I was, I was crying real hard so um I was I was upset that that I wouldn't say upset I was very happy that it had happened for me and I was emotional at that time and uh you know there's just a lot of lot of obstacles that I've overcome and it was a terrific feeling is it one of the best feelings you ever had in your life? I mean, I, I mean, obviously you have, you know, marriage, uh, kids, 
things of that nature. Where does this stack up for you? Yeah, I mean, football-wise, definitely uh, best feeling I've ever had in my life. Um, first, though, I'd, I'd have to say the birth, birth of my daughter. She, um, right. that, that's an amazing, um, amazing thing to witness. And so I'll go birth and then uh, Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So daughter, then Super Bowl. Sounds good. Yeah, exactly. So fans, check him out on Twitter, at Ninko50, and support all the great things going on with Rob Ninkovich. Rob, great time for you right now. Pleasure talking to you. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do it again. All right. Thank you. Take care. Have fun, man. Not too much right. fun. <laughs> no, Take my care. Wife in check. She keeps me in check. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Take, Take care, care, sir. Rob Ninkovich, defensive end for the New England Patriots. What a great time to be Rob Ninkovich. What a great time to be a part of the New England Patriots. I mean, New England Patriots, Super Bowl champion. Doesn't get any better than that. I want to go now to Marshawn Lynch and and Larry Foote. Larry Foote had some interesting comments pertaining to Marshawn Lynch and comments that, you know, I find interesting and comments that, in a lot of ways, I kind of agree with, to be quite honest with you. But he ripped into Marshawn Lynch, wasn't happy with Marshawn Lynch, and in terms of Marshawn Lynch and his his decision to to basically be, uh, I don't know, in some respect, a rebel without a cause. A rebel without a cause. And, you know, Larry Foote speaking to a radio station in Pittsburgh talking about Marshawn Lynch and the whole situation with Marshawn Lynch and, you know, saying, you know what? He's always, quote, he's always mentioned his foundation and what he likes to do for the city of Oakland. I'm from the same type of urban environment that he's from. The biggest message that he's given these kids, he might not want to admit it, is the hell with authority. I don't care. Find me. I'm going to grab my crotch. I'm going to do it my way. Larry Foote went on to say, in the real world, it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. How can you keep a job? I mean, you got these inner city kids. They don't listen to teachers. They don't listen to police officers, principals. And these guys can't even keep a job because they say, F authority. Those are strong words. Those are strong words by Larry Foote. And those words, as far as I'm concerned, there is a level of truth to those words because what is Marshawn Lynch's cause here? What is Marshawn Lynch trying to prove here? What is what I mean, what is the end game here for Marshawn Lynch? I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what the end game is here. Because Marshawn Lynch is 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 doing all these different type of things, whether it's, you know, here's the thing. First of all, grabbing the crotch, I mean, you get fined once for it, you get fined another time, you keep doing it. Then, you know, with the whole situation with the media, well, it's a part of your job, it's a part of your contract, you got to do it. I know you don't want to do it. I know you don't like to do it. I know you hate to do it. But it's a part of your job, it's a part of your, your contract. And He's right. You got a lot of kids out here, inner city kids out here saying, you know what? I 
don't care about, you know, authority. You know, I don't care about authority. I'm not listening to my teachers. I'm not listening, and I don't care what my teachers say. I don't care with what 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 a th- police say. I don't care. I don't care. You know, at a job, I gotta listen. I don't care about those things. I'm gonna do me. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. It's all about me. It's about my needs. That's what. And and you 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 hearing these type of things. You see these type of things and. I think Larry Foote is bringing and and saying some interesting things. I think Larry Foote is 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 onto something. I think Larry Foote is telling the truth here. And you know, you may agree, you may disagree with what Larry Foote says. But Marshawn Lynch has an obligation as an NFL player to talk. He does. And you know why he has an obligation to talk? Because his job says so. His job says so. His job stipulates that he has to talk. His job says that you have to talk. Again, do the bare minimum. And I'm not talking about bare minimum in terms of I'm here so I won't get fined. I'm talking about bare minimum in terms of get up there. Sit down, do your five minutes, and get out. And maybe you're you're not confident in what you say, your speaking abilities. Maybe you have a level of phobia of some sort. Who knows? Maybe you don't like the way the media has portrayed you over the years. Maybe you felt like your words have been twisted around. Who knows? But I, I I understand that you don't want to talk. I get it. But at the end of the day, it's your job. And I think I agree with Larry Foote. I think your mentality is to hell with authority. And it's one thing when you're an NFL back who can get 13-plus hundred yards and 13 touchdowns and, and, and you know, be a big-time factor and a big-time player for your football team. It's one thing – to do that and be that. That's one thing. But how many kids in the inner city, how many kids in general are going to make it to the NFL? How many kids in general are going to make it to the NBA? How many kids in general are going to play Major League Baseball, NHL? How many kids in general are going to play hockey? Not many. Not many. And Marshawn Lynch, when it's all said and done, very well could be a Hall of Famer. Very well could be. And he's on his way. He's on his way. He's he's on his way to being a Hall of Famer. If he continues to play like he's played over the past few seasons, at the age of 28, he'll be 29 before the start of 2015. If, you know, he's, he has a lot of durability. I mean, he's played 16 games the past three seasons, and the past four seasons he's only missed one game. And he's had a bunch of carries in that 
in those four seasons, 285, 315, 301, 280. He's still four yards per carry type of back. Double-digit touchdowns, 12, 11, 12, and 13 from 2011 to 2014. That's a total of 47 touchdowns. Check that, 48 touchdowns in four years. An average of 12 touchdowns per season. He's a beast. And if he continues this, he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. Might take some time because he doesn't get along with the media. And earlier in his career, he got into some trouble. You get the sense maybe he's cleaned his act up a little bit. But I agree with Larry Foote. He has that uh, the hell with authority attitude. The hell with 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 authority. The hell with the rules. I'm Marshawn Lynch. I'm beast mode. I make the rules. I follow my own rules. This is my world. And as far as I'm concerned, I get all that. I get it. I truly do. Because there is a level of contradiction involved in all this with Roger Goodell and his, you know, his immediate available, his media availability. I get all that. I get it. I truly do. But all in talking about this issue, your job in terms of talking to the media is to grow the brand of the National Football League. You can actually work on your brand. But in actuality, you could argue that this helps his brand. Marsh Beast Mode hats are flying off the shelves. So this helps his brand. Visits to the websites are up. His website is up. It helps his brand. People are, 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 are looking at the hat and they want to buy it. And he's standing up there at the podium saying pretty much nothing. So I agree at the end of the day with Larry Foote. Marshawn Lynch is thumbing his nose at authority. He's a rebel. But what is his cause? He's a rebel. But what is his point? What is he trying to prove? He's not really proven anything as far as I'm concerned. He's causing himself money. And as far as I'm concerned, I hope that Marshawn Lynch in this offseason will take a look at some things. And, and you know, like Larry Foote says, he has a foundation there in Oakland. What is he teaching the kids? That's okay not to follow the rules. That's okay to do what you do, no matter if it's against the rules of, of your job. You know, no matter if it goes against what your employer wants you to do. If if you're working for a company, you know, you have to do some of the things that the company wants you to do if you want to keep your job. <clears throat> Excuse me. And one of the things, and obviously, you know, this is not going to hurt Marshall Lynch in terms of him losing his job. Well, it may if, if he comes to the point in his career when he's not good enough. But right now he's good enough. Right now he's beast mode. Right now – He's the best player on that Seattle Seahawks offense. Right now, he's one of the best players on that football team. And should have got the football uh, second and goal at the one-yard line in the Super Bowl. Obviously. Obviously. But at the end, in the end, 
This is not about that. It's about Marshawn Lynch thumbing his nose at authority. It's about Marshawn Lynch doing what he wants to do. And I agree with Larry Foote. It sends a bad message. It sends an absolutely bad message. It really does. We'll see what happens moving forward. Let's go to the National Basketball Association, the NBA. And we got a big game tonight in the National Basketball Association, the NBA. Hornet, I mean, the, the Hawks and the Golden State Warriors, two of the best teams in basketball record-wise. And if you would have told me that the Warriors and the Hawks would be playing on February 6th and both of those teams are the best record in basketball, I may not be as surprised about the Warriors, but I would be big-time surprised about the Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks are a team that has the best, you know, best record in the Eastern Conference, playing some big-time basketball, getting it done. When it's all said and done, this is a team that may get to the NBA Finals. They may get to the NBA Finals. But there's a guy in Cleveland, and LeBron James, who may say otherwise. Cleveland on a 12-game winning streak, playing big-time basketball. J.R. Smith is there. Shumpert, Mozgov. The moves that the Cavaliers have made have put them in position to win possibly an NBA title. It's definitely put them, put them in position to get out of the Eastern Conference, and it may have put them in position to win the NBA title. We'll get back to that in a moment. We're going to bring in a guy now, Hall of Famer, the one, the only, Willie Rofe. Willie! Paul, how you doing? How are you, sir? Good. Super Bowl Forty Nine, Willie. It has come. It has gone. Deion Sanders looks at that play, second and goal at the one yard line in that fourth quarter. He calls it the worst call of all time. What was your reaction when you saw Russell Wilson drop back to throw? Well, even before that play, I was thinking, you know, maybe. It's second down. You got a timeout. I think they had a timeout in Paul one. I don't think they had two left. They had one. I mean, I was thinking, how many timeouts? They had one. They had one timeout left. I was thinking that maybe you run the ball. You run the ball on that second down at least. If you want to throw the ball, you do it on the third down because you still have a timeout to burn. So, I mean, the, the problem I have with the with it is Marshawn Lynch had just rushed for three yards to get it to the one yard, not on the play prior. So, I would at least try to run the ball. On the, on the second down, and then burn the timeout. And then if I want to throw the ball, do it on third down because you still have two downs to score, you know, in that situation. You have two more downs. So I would at least try to uh, run the ball thinking my thought process was, was not to let the clock run down and run the ball because they let a lot of seconds burn off the clock and then use the timeout after that play. It was about a minute and two seconds when Marshawn Lynch was tackled. And at that point I was thinking maybe the Patriots would use a timeout to preserve the time with the Mm -hmm. possibility that they would get the ball back. But ultimately they didn't. And Seattle let the time go all the way down to about 20 seconds to go. And ultimately – That didn't make sense to me, Paul. That's what didn't make sense to me. They let all the time run out thinking they were going to score. And then they did a pass play. Well, he said he was going to call a pass play in in the sequence to begin with. My thought process is don't let the time run out. You still got you still got to kick a field goal. You still got to kick the ball off. I'm gonna I'm gonna at least uh, 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 do a running play on second down. If I don't get in, then I can let the clock run down and call the timeout. 
or well, you and, know at that point. And that was my thought because you figure you got second down. If you rush to the line, you start to play about 45, 40 seconds. You run the ball. Let's just say he gets stopped. You can still get back to the line, play, or you, you get you know you start the next play that which would be third down around 20 some odd seconds. You run the ball again. If you get stopped there, you have the timeout at that point, and then you can run that final play. That was my thought process. And it's just obviously you look at the way things transpired, the way things went down, obviously it was the worst, It was one of the worst calls in the history of the football. In your opinion, is it the worst call in NFL history? Uh, you know what, Paul? I don't know the history of all the Super Bowls and how close they've been to go back when they started. For the Super Bowl that I've seen, it, it, it's not just the call. It's the clock management of the call in that situation. And I know if Pete Carroll could do it over again, he probably would go. He's probably going over that decision a hundred times, a thousand times in his mind what he would have changed to do it. I think he was just trying to like let the clock run down because he thought they were going to score score on the next play. I mean. That, but that situation where you call that route, that's a tight space with everything pushed up. Because, because you're not in the open field where he calls that play on the 40, 50-yard line with the DBs back deeper, when you call that play close to the goal line, every, everything's compacted. That's the that's the reason that he would be able to come up and make that play. So in that situation, you don't make that play call with, with, with everything that can happen because it's too tight, too short of field. That's like, I don't like, like down there trying to call a screen pass that close to the goal line or trying to call a shovel pass. I don't like the shovel pass that close because too many things can happen. But, you know, a lot of times they'll call that little shovel handoff pass where they throw the ball to the running back and let him run. I don't like that play call either. But, I, you know, with everything that, that computer compartmentalized right there, I just don't see how you make that call there or or let the clock run down at that point. And, yeah, exactly. And it just it, – here's the thing also. They ran an illegal pick play. So, hypothetically speaking, let's just say they, they, they call a flag there. And yes. you're backed up 10 yards. So, it becomes even – I mean, it's just it, – the more you think about it, the more you look at it, the call just gets worse and worse and worse. It, it, to me, it just—it was just illogical. Now, was was it an illegal pick on that play? Was it an illegal pick? It. I mean, you know, I mean, there's pick plays that you can get away with, and there's pick plays sometimes you can't get away with. And you know, obviously in that particular situation, they would have been able to get away with it. But Malcolm Butler made a tremendous play, and talk about the play that Malcolm Butler made. Not only did he break the play up. But he was still able to hold on to the football. I mean, obviously a tremendous play. Obviously a tremendous play, and it's ironic uh, that uh, we had the Arkansas uh, uh, sports banquet for the high school and college athletes, the top athletes in the state of Arkansas from all the smaller schools, and they have the Cliff Harris Award, who Cliff Harris went to a real small school, I think, Washington. Uh, state and he uh, went to the Dallas Cowboys. Was safety, played in two or three Super Bowls and got with the five or six Pro Bowls. But it's a small college award named after him. And um, 
one of the finalists last year for that award was uh, the kid from West Alabama, brother that made the play. The other guy that was a finalist was a guy that ended up starting for uh, Baltimore, or I think, in, or or Philly. He played for Baltimore, I think, and ended up getting a lot of playing time this year. But you know, you have a lot of deaths, and that, that's we make this we, we we make this assumption that all these big time athletes, what I heard Herman Edwards say, Paul, you know, uh, forty of them that played in that Under Armour All American game. Have going pro. Well, that's been seven years and a lot of guys have played in it. So it doesn't matter what college you play, play for. If you put it in the work, the NFL will find you and that's a great story just about the situation that happened with Butler and them making that play and him not not being undrafted and he making the key play in the Super Bowl just tells you there's talent everywhere and you got to go and find those guys that have really worked their butt off to make it to get a chance to play in the NFL. We're talking to Hall of Famer Willie Rofe and Willie, let's talk about Tom Brady now. In that fourth quarter, 13 for 15, 124 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, it was nine for nine in that final drive. I mean, he was absolutely on fire. You're talking about the Legion of Boom. You're talking about that big-time Seattle Seahawks defense. Talk about what Tom Brady did in that fourth quarter and how impressed were you with what you saw to Tom Brady because earlier in that game he had that interception down at the goal line and then he had another interception in that third quarter but he came back and he played big-time football in that fourth quarter. Talk about it. He did. He did. And, you know, when you look at those intangibles, him being able to keep his cool and him able to do the things late in that game that he would do and to get better at the game play, and I think that's what a lot of people are going to be looking at. I'm not comparing him to Tom Brady, but I'm saying that James Winston, when he was at Florida State, through all that adversity Tom Brady went through, sure. uh, typical of what Tom Brady went through with his football career, being a backup till his senior year, and then getting a starting job in the middle of the season, then going on to the NFL, getting drafted 199 what he's gone through in his life and his career in football and for him to overcome and then the, the pressure that they had on them to, after losing two Super Bowls to have to go out there and perform and win that fourth round. And it tells you how hard it was. You know, Paul, I played the league 13 years and I never got to a Super Bowl. But you have to, you have them. I don't know how many years Tom's been in the league, but he's been in six Super Bowls in his career. And I think the Patriots have won 10, 11 games plus for most of the time he's been there. I mean, what they've been able to do in New England is incredible uh, as far as you want to say dynasties of them putting that franchise up there with the elite, with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the San Francisco 49ers in the history of this league. And like I said, for Tom Brady, it's been the key to the key on all those teams through all the defense and offensive changes. Tom Brady's been the, the constant, and Wolford was on the last team. Will Wolford did the, the D-lineman that won the last Super Bowl. But... Uh, you know, Tom Brady's had a great career, and uh, I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to play, but, uh, you know, from, from me right now, I mean, he's, you know, and another thing I like about him, Paul, he doesn't ever to this morning to talk about where his place is in history. You know, Tom never talks about that. You never hear him talk about all he does is thank his teammates, his coaches, and everything. But uh, for me, he's got to be right there in the top two or three all time. And, and, if, and if he gets number five, if he does get a chance to get number five because he's playing in six, then you would have to maybe say he is the best to play in. Now, you do have Joe Montana, who won four, and you have Terry Bradshaw, who was four and all. But I, I look at those teams in that era, and that was a different type of football than it is today. Well, you, you talked about Tom Brady, and, you know, you, you look at Tom Brady, 15 years in the National Football League, six Super Bowl appearances, four Super Bowl rings. I mean, you talked about Joe Montana. Yes, Joe Montana's 4-0, Bradshaw's 4-0. 
But, I mean, is it time for us? You know, he still has some time left, so he can add to that legacy. But is it time for us to say that Tom Brady really is the greatest of all time? You know, when you look at Joe Montana, we, the 49ers, we played against them. They were running the West Coast system, and Bill Walsh was ahead of his time when people weren't doing the stuff they were doing. And they were able to explore teams with the different passion offs and stuff the teams weren't doing. Uh, you know, the Bradshaw era was a little different, different. You know, the league wasn't quite as big. The teams were good. But basically you had a couple of teams that were going to be there with Dallas or, or Pittsburgh or a couple of other teams that, that were the elite teams in, the, in that era. You know, with, with the period in the league, the way things are now, Tom Brady going to six Super Bowls, one and four, you know, to me, what he's been able to accomplish, you know, in, in this day and age with, with, with the NFL, with the salary caps and everything that they have. And, and like you said, a lot of these guys that you haven't even heard of on, on some of them on the defense off the side of the ball, um, you, you know, I would have to, I would have to say, I, I would have to put him right there and say, even though he, he's been the six of them, you know, and Brady lost. You know, like I said, that one maybe he should have. Maybe they said he should have lost. He should have won one of the ones against the right. Giants. But that's still four. I would, I would have to say I got him right there as the best quarterback to do it by, by his resume. We're talking to Hall of Famer Willie Rofen, and you know, speaking of Tom Brady, speaking of the Patriots, Charles Haley came out. Charles Haley just got into the Hall of Fame, just got uh, elected into the Hall of Fame. Charles Haley said, you know what? He feels like. You know, some of the Patriots, it, it's tainted because of Spygate. And we don't know what's going to happen with the Flake Gate at all. But, you know, Tom, uh, Charles Haley says it's tainted. I'm going to say, you know what, at the end of the day, you know, the Colts game, they blew them out. This game, the footballs were protected. There was no way to deflate any type of footballs. Um, you know, at the end of the day, and even after Spygate came out, the following year the Patriots went undefeated and they got back to the Super Bowl. But here's the thing. I mean, so in my opinion – Maybe you can argue that's a little taint, tainted, but I don't really think so. Do you think if something comes out with the flake gate and we find out that Brady and, and the Patriots had something to do with the flating of footballs, does that tarnish the legacy of Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the Patriots? No, I won't say that. I mean, I'm not going to say that. I mean, we didn't talk about the year when they went undefeated, made it all the way to the Super Bowl, right. and Randy Moss had, what, 22 touchdowns or whatever that year. I mean, just an incredible year, and they got beat in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, like you said, I, I'm not going to say that. I can't take away from that. Also, people say the the, uh, the 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 play with the with the Raiders when 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 he was supposed to be throwing the ball, wasn't throwing the ball forward, and they changed that rule. They talk about that, but uh, when you win as consistently as what they what they do, and then you know, look at last year. I mean, they got their butts whooped against Kansas City, and after that game. They just turned it around. I mean, they did the intensity of the team picked up. They played better. They played harder. I mean, you know, I, I can't, I can't take away, you know, to make it there six times. You made it there. That's hard enough. So, you know, what they, what they've been able to do, I can't take. You can't take the credit away from that team and that organization. What they've been able to do. Even if we find out something happens with the footballs, that doesn't take anything away from you from it. I mean. Most teams had to play with the football. They didn't, I mean, it would be different if we said, you know, both teams had to throw the football. So, I mean, you got a quarterback on the team. He could have complained about the football during the game. I don't think well, I don't think we'll have to worry about that anymore with the football situations. But when they go on the road and, when they go on the road and play teams, Paul, 
they don't get to put their balls out there when they play on road trips, do they? They're just at home. Well, no, the, the offense, you know, you get you get footballs for offense. So if you had the team, each team has their allotted amount of footballs, and when you're on offense, you get the footballs that your team brings to the stadium, whether whether oh, it's home or away. Got you. Okay. Got you. Okay. Got so, it. I We'll see. We'll see what if happens. We, if, we, if, we, if we were to be tic about that, okay. But what, still, what they've been able to accomplish is what they've been able to accomplish. Uh, I know Belichick has every likes to take advantage, advantage of every advantage, just like the field. When the field used to be, before they put that field turf down there, everybody complained about the field up there in New England, saying how bad the field was, or, or they wet it down, you know, or do certain things. So, I mean, it's always been little things that, that they do, but, I mean, if that's their home field, they get to do that at their home field. Now, if you talk about putting spiking music or doing certain things that, that, that that's not cheap or looking at people's signals and stuff like that, that's that's not right, you know. Right. But um, I can't take anything away from what they've done. They still have accomplished a lot, and uh, it's been a great one they've had up there. We're talking to Hall of Famer Willie Rofe and Willie. This past week, and a couple guys that you have pretty decent relationship with, Jerome Bettis, a, a guy that you shared a house with out there in uh, Colorado, I believe, uh, you guys uh, many years ago. And then also Will Shields, a guy you played alongside in Kansas City. What did it mean to you to see those guys get into the Hall of Fame and hear their name getting called for the Hall of Fame? It is, it's great. You know, you know me, and, me, Will, and Jerome came out together, and uh, as well as Michael Strahan, and we'll have one more getting the Hall of John Lynch eventually. But uh, anytime I see guys from the class of 93 get in, Will, Will beat me for the Allen Trophy, and I had a chance to play with him and, and the consummate pro he was and just watching how, how Jerome worked out. Me and Jerome worked out early in the offseason in our, in our careers and grew together. And for me and him both to sign with, with Lamont Smith at the time, a black agent, and, you know, he eventually had uh, two guys make it to the Hall of Fame from uh, – from that from uh, from from that classy side, and we used to talk to each other about who was going to be the best pro and and, and what we we're going to accomplish in uh, in the off season. And uh, for both of us to make it to the hall, it's something special. And, uh, it's going to be a great great time this year uh, with those two guys going in, uh, as long as well as Haley and uh, and uh, the rest of the guys uh, uh, that are going in that class. And Junior Seau, it's going to be sad, but it's going to be great for his family. And him to get that recognition as being a first-time uh, first ballot Hall of Famer, and I got Junior say I went there. He was a Ray Lewis to me before Ray Lewis to play as long as he did to play at the level he played, and for for 20 years. And uh, I mean, he was just a great, great football player. And uh, everybody, everybody will tell you they met Junior Say all around him. Everybody, uh, football players and teammates love Junior too. So uh, it's going to be a special week. This year in Canton, Ohio. So for all the fans, people that want to get up there, uh, it's going to be. I think it's going to be some great speeches. It's going to be a great time up in Ohio, in, Ohio in uh, early August. Well, let's get out on this. I want to ask you about Marshawn Lynch. Uh, Larry Foote came out this weekend. Uh, this week, I should say, he talked about Marshawn Lynch, and he, he talked about Marshawn Lynch and him, you know, kind of bucking authority, if you will, and pretty much quote according to Larry Foote, pretty much. Marshawn Lynch saying the hell with authority by not speaking to the media and things of that nature. Larry Foote believes that it, it sends a bad message to kids. I, I agree with him. I think it does send a bad message to kids. What are your thoughts? 
Doesn't send a bad message to kids. Yeah, I think it sends a bad message, but, I mean, we can't really talk about it now because Marshawn Lynch has been doing this for a long time. I mean, right. yeah, people know how Marshawn Lynch is. So, I mean, kids are, kids that watch sports already know that, that he is the way he is. And, and part of that, you know, I don't know if you can look up his history, Paul, some of the stuff he went through. Then he, he got in trouble in Buffalo. And, he got to you know, he got in, in Oakland. I don't know if he got in trouble, but he it was an altercation. But he's had some personal issues and stuff he's had to deal with. And, and I guess him not wanting to speak to them because of, of them painting him in a bad light is part of the way the way the way he he goes about it. But I, I would hope that Marshawn Lynch will mature and eventually one day we'll talk and just say why he is, was the way he was and explain himself. You know why why he's acting like he has. And you know, I, w- I would hope that uh, you know that he would enjoy his. You know, he's probably to tell in his career. I-, I don't know what his numbers are, Paul, but you know, I think he has a legitimate shot to maybe be a Hall of Fame guy. And and he has to understand that this will follow him, and they will maybe hold this against him. You know, if he, um, you know, if he gets up for the Hall. So, uh, you know, I just I just think that uh, you know, you know, hopefully he needs to enjoy this and, and enjoy. You know, playing pro football, and I think he's going to get a new contract. And you know, I, I just think that uh, he's been like this for a while, and, and hopefully uh, he understands what his impact is, especially on the kids in Oakland. Which I will say this, Paul, he does go back and has youth camps and does stuff with the sure. with the youth in Oakland himself. So he does go back and give back to the community, and in his community, he does talk to the kids. Now, you talked about in terms of his Hall of Fame chances at this point. 71 touchdowns, about 8,500 yards. He's, he'll be 29 by the start of next season. So when it's all said and done, if he can continue at this pace, he's probably going to have 10, 11, 12,000 yards, and probably close to 100 touchdowns in his career. So he's probably going to have a Hall of Fame career, and we'll obviously we'll you know hopefully like you said he can repair the relationship that he has with the media, so they won't hold it against him when he comes up for the Hall of Fame. Willie. Pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you all the best of luck. Let's do it again. Thank you. Willie Rofe, Hall of Famer, and great to get his take on the Super Bowl 49 and, and talking about Marshawn Lynch. And like you said, you know, you, you want to get it right with the media because they can hold it against you. Look at Charles Haley, five Super Bowl rings, and, and you know, an integral part uh, of one, you know, integral part of the 49ers teams and the Cowboys teams that won Super Bowls. They may not win Super Bowls if they didn't have Charles Haley. At least those Cowboys teams. I mean, both of those teams, for that matter. I mean, Charles Haley was, you know, he did a great job. Did a great job. Great job. 49 teams probably won them. But those Cowboys teams, Charles Haley really put them over the top. He was the, kind of was, you know, the final piece, if you will, and helped put them over the top. But we'll see. Charles Haley, it's about time that he's gotten to the Hall. And a great Hall of Fame class. And as, as Willie Rowe pointed out, Junior Seau, you know, that whole situation, um, you know, that's going to be interesting. Not interesting, but it's going to be an emotional time for a lot of people out there in Canton, Ohio, come this summer. I want to thank Rob Ninkovich for stopping by. Also, make sure you support all the great things going on with Rob Ninkovich. Hit him up on Twitter, at Ninko50. Also, I want to thank Rodney Gunter of Dell State, former Dell State defensive tackle, defensive end, 
support all the things with Rodney as he's trying to make the National Football League. Also, I want to thank Willie Rope. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash begin. Hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash go for it can. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care.